Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of May 27th, 2021, including... Xbox and Bethesda will be holding a joint press conference at E3 this year. Microsoft officially is publishing rights for the Outer Worlds IP. More information and more. Recording 30 minutes later than I usually would, but not without a good reason, which we'll get into later on in the show. But let me just start out by saying, got a little bit of a weird week in that there's a, there's definitely a lot of news, and I'm I'm not even gonna try and guess how long the podcast is gonna run because I'll always say, oh, it's a short news week, and then we still go on for an hour and 45 minutes. So it, it isn't a long news week in the terms of like big late breaking news, but we have a decent amount of things to talk about, and then a regular amount of comments. So. I don't know, on my show notes, it looks like a slimmer kind of news week, but I think we have enough here that we'll manage to stretch this bitch out pretty nice and nice and long. So with that said, welcome to Xbox On for episode 103 for the week of May 27th. Let's jump into a couple of corrections or things I want to address before we run into the comments, um, things from last week of note. So you you might remember the big story of last week was the whole uh, Jeff Grubb and, and the like on the internet going, oh, well, Starfield, we have the insider tips. So we know that it's all going to be, the game's going to be coming out in early 2022 and, and this and that. And everyone was straight face talking about, we know the release date, we know the release window, we know it's exclusive on Xbox, this and that. And then like literally a day or two after the podcast went live, the whole story changed because Jason Schreier was all like, actually, that's bullshit. That's none of that's really true. And then everyone started walking it back and, and people like Jeff Grubb were just like, well, um, I was obviously being sarcastic, but clearly people don't understand sarcasm. So I will say this in his defense. I didn't watch the podcast where this was initially this discussion was initially had. However, I did see the the myriad of tweets that he and his his friends, his friend group, his his uh, his video game media friends started spewing out the days following that podcast. So it seemed from the perspective of all the tweets going around that people were pretty serious about this and the way they allowed media outlets to run with the story seemed like people were pretty serious and confident about this. But then once Jason Schreier stepped in a few days later and was like, Hey, let me squash these rumors. Cause this is all kind of made up bullshit. Then all of a sudden these people started coming out and be like, Oh, well we were just joking all along and clearly we were being sarcastic. Didn't know you guys were going to take it so serious. So make of that what you will. Uh, I don't know a lot about Jeff Grubb. I know he's kind of a divisive, character in the games media uh, bubble, but I don't really give a shit because I find most games media people to be quite obnoxious. So I just, I don't know, whenever I see his face, I'm just like, oh yeah, that guy, I don't, I don't have an opinion on him. I'm not going to say anything either which way. I'm just going to keep scrolling. So I don't, I don't have anything to say there other than I just find it a little weird that at least with my limited exposure to what was happening, it seemed like he was all gung ho about like, yeah, this is, this is what's happening. I have the inside scoop. And then the next day after someone with a good track record, Jason Schreier called him out on his shit. He was just like, yeah, I was joking this whole time. Can't you guys take a joke? So I just want to put that out there. That's weird. But nonetheless, I don't care because if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I tweeted once Jason Schreier said, this is all just a bunch of rumor bullshit. I said, good thing on Xbox on, I mentioned how I didn't think this was likely and that that Starfield is probably going to be a fall 2022 game at the earliest. So I uh, I think I caught, I got, 
not to pat myself on the back too much here, but just to say that didn't feel right to me. Like I, not, not that I have any insider knowledge, but I've just been obsessively consuming games industry stuff, E3 press conferences, podcasts, just watching the trends and seeing kind of how the industry operates from an outsider perspective long enough to get the feeling that like, Hey, I don't, I don't think that's happening. We know how Bethesda operates. We know that Microsoft sure as hell doesn't want to cannibalize Halo Infinite by putting an, a, a potentially bigger game out just a few months afterwards. None of this makes sense. So a l- little bit of a pat on the back, but not really to myself for, for calling that out either way. But I want to make that correct, correct, not really a correction, but more like just address that this is what's happening because uh, you got to make of that what you will. But I, I smell a little bullshit in that story. Anyway, the other correction or thing I want to bring to attention, again, this isn't really a correction either. This is just, this is more just something I want to say. I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's it happened this past week, and I don't know if it's happened to others, so I just want to make the audience aware. But the Gaming Noob wrote in on, on YouTube where you can leave your comments to be read on Xbox On and says, I listened to the show and noticed you didn't read my comment. My bad for coming off a little hot last week about mini M&Ms, about the mini M&M banter. I was joking. I hope you at least thought it was funny. So Gaming Noob, I mean, you and I already discussed this a little bit, but uh, just to bring this to the audience's attention, I didn't see your comment and I wasn't offended by it at all. I went, I, a lot of times what happens is I'll get a notification that I got a comment on the episode. I'll see the notification on my phone. It will give me a little preview, like a text message preview of like what the comment says. And then I can like, like it, I can reply to it or I can open it up. And then I hit open and then YouTube's just like, boop, it's deleted. Like the comment's just gone. And when I upload episodes of Xbox on, I'm not that inept. When I upload episodes of the podcast, it gives me the option to kind of censor or filter the comments like, hey, YouTube, if you find this comment to be kind of offensive, you can just immediately block it or shadow ban it or notify me so I can approve or deny it. And there's a feature like that on YouTube. And I always make, make sure I select don't filter the comments, let anything and everything in. I don't give a shit how nasty you guys want to get on the show. You can post whatever comment you want, and I'll be the one to determine whether or not it gets deleted. However, that's ne- that's almost never been the case. I've maybe deleted one or two comments in in the entire 103 episode run of this show. YouTube usually just shadow deletes them, and I and I never know about it for the most part. So, the gaming noob, I just want to say two things. First of all, no, I didn't delete your comment, as as you know, we've talked already. But I wouldn't have unless it was something that was like really intentionally evil or nasty. If you're just goofing and, and, and saying stupid shit about food. I'm not going to, I would never not read your comment or, or ban you f- just for that. I would, you know, obviously we joke, but I don't want anyone to ever feel like they have to watch their mouth or be weary about what they say around me. Even if you think it's something that's a little edgy or potentially a little rude or something like that, don't be afraid to just comment with what it is you want to say, whether you're joking or whether you mean it. Uh, I don't want people to ever feel like they have to, I don't know. I feel like we live in a world where like people are so harsh and so judgmental, especially on social media, where it almost feels like in order to have a conversation with someone or to goof around with someone, you have to like walk on eggshells and be mind, like really, really nervous about what you might say. I just want you to know that Xbox on is an environment where you can say anything, push the boundary as far as you want to go. We will draw the line when we decide we need to draw the line. And so far we haven't gotten to that point. Yes. We've jailed the likes of lethal migraine for disliking sunset overdrive, but I don't think we have found the line yet. And, and, and until we have like an actual legitimate Nazi in the comments, you know, saying something crazy. I don't think we had we had to really worry about whether or not your comments need to be muted or silenced or anything like that. So if uh, the bigger point here is just if, if something like this happens to any of you guys, feel free to reach out to me because I, I, I don't want you to feel like I'm ignoring you or or muting you without even 
giving you a chance to say anything. I don't, I don't really think that's fair. So again, unless you are actively saying something really, truly harm, harmful or evil, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna delete you. You can, you can get up here and shit talk TGI Fridays or make fun of me or any of that kind of stuff any day of the week. My bigger, my, the biggest thing I'm, I'm weary about. If you want to know, like the only thing that would ever actually really drive me to be like, mm, okay, watch your mouth is if you guys start picking on one another. So I, again, you can, you can direct all the hate towards. Are, are things we like, you know, whatever. It's just, that's just stupid. And, you know, we can pick on Taco Bell or M&Ms or, or video games, but don't pick on one another. That is kind of where I'm, that, that's what I would be looking out for. But I don't even know why I got the deep into this, that I didn't mean for that to be a thing other than to just say, if, if your comment just disappears because YouTube decided to censor you for, for no real good reason, just let me know. And I, I can, you can write in again to me and I'll read it out loud. Or if you feel like you got ignored or something happened, just, just let me know. Cause I'm, that's definitely not something I'm trying to do here on the show. Blame it on YouTube is the, is the moral here. Don't blame me. YouTube is like that. Now, with that out of the way, let's jump into the actual comments this week. Remember, speaking of you know what we just talked about, if you want to comment, you go on over to YouTube.com. You look up Second Best Gaming. That's my channel. One of these days, I'm going to change my name because I, I hate that cliche that every like 400 subscriber small-time YouTuber tries to do where they're like, Blah, 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 gaming, blah, blah, gaming, blah, gaming. It's like fucking gluten-free gaming, Diet Coke gaming, liberal arts gaming, left shoelace gaming, burnt toast gaming, virgin gaming, nut buster gaming. I, I don't know. I, I hate that. So maybe one day I'll change it from second best gaming. But for now, you go to second best gaming, you look for the Xbox on podcast playlist. You click on that, find the latest episode, leave a little comment. You can say anything like Jesse. Taco Bell is dumb and you're dumb, and I'll still allow it, but you can't say something like, Jesse, I'm going to put Diet Coke in your gas tank, because that wouldn't be very nice. So just uh, go ahead, leave a comment, and we will read it on the show, provided YouTube doesn't delete it. First comment of the week comes in from Chicago Gamer 420 Love it. First time commenter, I believe, who says, Sir Jesse DeRosa, what is the name of the song at the very end of this episode? I actually remember you saying the artist recently recently on the podcast, and I have been looking for that moment, but could not find it. You're holding out on some dank punk rock music. Also, have you had Culver's before? Wow, Chicago Gamer. I, I gotta be honest, it's a interesting combination of things to bring up. It's, it's one thing I'm glad to discuss, another thing I'm terrified to discuss. Let's, let's tackle them in order. So, the music, as I've said, I have said before on, on the podcast, so at the end of the show, I play usually one of two artists. So, when the when the podcast first started, I was playing a lot of my friend my friend Eric a lot of his like kind of lo-fi beats. He doesn't like calling them lo-fi, but I call them like kind of lo-fi hip hop beats or whatever you want to call them. And that's what we played for the longest time. And then one day, Count Scottula, regular commenter and listener, wrote in and was like, "Hey, I love awesome music, and you love awesome music. And I used to be in a really awesome punk band when I was younger, and I have a bunch of awesome songs I can share with you." So he was so kind as to share a bunch of music that he and his old band used to play back in the day when music was really, really good. They even went and played shows with some really awesome bands, including the Get Up Kids, one of my favorite bands of all time. So I was like, if you're willing to share this music with me, I will absolutely play on the show. And that's a lot of what we hear. So if you're hearing like the lo-fi beats, that's my friend Eric. And if you're hearing the punk rock, emo, whatever you want to call it shit, that is Count Scottula's old band um, called Corbel. Corbel? Um, and I don't remember what track I played last week. I'm sorry. I really should look that up first. Um, but I, either way, I don't think the name's going to do you any good because as far as I know, there is no public place you can go and listen to these. Uh, Count Scottula, 
If these songs are publicly accessible, I don't know, via SoundCloud or Bandcamp or something like that, please do comment in and let us know so that the audience can uh, check out your band's incredible music uh, because clearly I'm not the only one who's enjoying this stuff. Chicago Gamer looking out for uh, from some good music in this world of uh, Justin Bieber just trying to sing to us about where he gets his weed from, which is California in case you didn't know. There are still some of us who are looking for some good music to listen to. So Count Skyla. If you, if you have a place to publicly access this music, Chicago Gamer 420, and I'm sure many others in the audience would love to know about it. But yeah, the band is called uh, Corbel, and it's Count Scotula, a listener and commenters um, a band from back in the day. So that answers that. Now, just real quick to touch on it, you said, also, have you had Culver's before? Now, I know I've discussed this on the show before. I'm not holding you accountable for not remembering or having heard it before. But yes, I've talked about this before, and I must say this. Culver's is a restaurant that I cannot wait to get back to. In fact, there's one not too far away from me, but I cannot wait to get back to the to that restaurant one day because I, I ate at it one time. Uh, it was like one of the last meals I had before I moved from Georgia. They had just opened a Culver's not too far away from my childhood home. So my girlfriend and I ate there one night and I was like, I, I don't see the appeal. This is like significantly shittier steak and shake. I really, really, really disliked Culver's. The only two things I liked about Culver's when I went were one, the service is much faster and more reliable than steak and shake. Although that maybe isn't accurate to say since I only had it one time, but it was when we went there and two, they serve Pepsi products instead of Coke products. Other than that, all I can say is the burger we had was absolute shit. They're fucking crinkle cut fries. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. Okay. If a crinkle cut fry ever tries to comment on this show, make no mistakes about it. YouTube didn't ban you. I did. Like, fuck crinkle cut fries. So they'd be doing that shit, and I, I'm not I'm not tolerating it. So have I had Culver's before? Yes. But over time, I've just heard so many fucking people tell me that Culver's is amazing. You got to try Culver's. And it's a, I, I know they've been around for a little while, but they've only recently started, like, really speeding up and expanding a lot here in the southeast. So most of the locations you find in, like, Florida and stuff are relatively new, uh, relatively new stores. So I told myself, you know, I got to try. There's a couple of them I see around here in central Florida. And I tell myself all the time, I need to try it one more time just to see if maybe I had a a fluke experience or maybe I'm I'm missing something here. So I, I keep meaning to get back to it, but it's, it's challenging because I live in Orlando where there's like no shortage of incredible restaurants to eat at. So it's like, you know, I want to eat here just simply out of obligation, knowing full well, I'm almost definitely going to hate the food. Uh, and that's, it's a hard thing to bring yourself to waste a good, you know, appetite in 10 bucks on something, you know, you're probably going to hate. So I'm, I need to get back to it, but yes, I've technically had a Culver's before I hated it. And I'm sorry if that disappoints you. Now, our next comment here comes from OG man, man, who is the OG man. If you didn't know, man, uh, who wants to comment in about Mass Effect Legendary Edition? Also, side note, OG Man, congrats on your recent uh, acquiring of an Xbox Series X. We're all proud of you. You write in and say, also, I just bought the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I'm not a big open-world gamer or RPG kind of guy, and I never played it back in the day. However, I must say that, man, this game is phenomenal. So far, I'm about eight hours in. I've given my Xbox more love the past week than I have in about three months. Very excited to play this trilogy all the way through. That makes me really happy to hear because... I have a similar feeling, like, I always talk about how I'm not really an RPG guy, but man, I just, I, tr- I started playing Mass Effect via backwards compatibility, like, last year, and I got surprisingly hooked into, like, the, the narrative really fast, but the game just feels so clunky and archaic, I had such a hard time sticking with it. I would love, if I had more free time right now, I would love to jump into this Legendary Collection and, and play all of them all the way through, but 
I like this time last year. I I, ha- I had such a extra f- um, like a massive amount of free time with the theme parks being closed because of COVID and everything being closed because of COVID and my girlfriend being out of work and me being temporarily relocated to a new uh, work location with my job that was much closer to home. It just worked out. I had so much free time between you know less money, less work, and just everything being closed. It was so convenient for me to play a bunch of games. Now this year. You know, the, the parks are back open, the mask mandates are lifting, everyone's getting vaccinated, my girlfriend's back to work, everything's good, so, like, I want to be doing shit like playing Resident Evil Village and Mass Effect Legendary Edition, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I could go run around Walt Disney World with my mask off like a fucking idiot, and that's just so enticing right now, so, OG Man, I'm really glad to hear that you're enjoying Mass Effect Legendary Edition, let me know, are you gonna, are you gonna wait till your Series X arrives before you finish your playthrough or are you going to just continue on? Uh, Let us know. Henley Merrill also jumps in and says three things that are making my world go round this week. The naked chicken chalupa. We'll get to that. Five guys, burgers and fries with extra ketchup. Fuck you. You're banned in mass effect. Legendary edition. I'm starting with mass effect one because I never played the original mass effects two and three are phenomenal games. Well, it seems like that's, I know mass effect two in particular is like universally seen as like the best of the, of the trilogy. You guys are making me jealous. I really want to jump into this, especially because I know mass effects two and three are a lot more like linear and actiony and less like RPG and open-ended like the first one is. And they're mechanically a lot more like tight and, and action oriented. So that really speaks to me, but God damn it. I'm glad, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. I'm sure many of you out there are right now. I know that's a, one of the big things going on in the game's realm at the moment. But you, you touched on something important there, Henley Merrill, and I want to jump into that because OG Man Man doesn't stop there. He says, what's up, Jesse? Just ate the naked chicken chalupa, and I gotta say, it was good. I just wish it was a bit bigger. The one I got was smaller than the taco, however, so that doused in fire sauce and a Baja Blast to wash it down was very satisfying. Shout out to Mavs Man for bringing it to my attention. Absolutely shout out to Mavs Man for bringing it to all of our attention because... Mavs man is potentially the man, but also you're OG man. So, you know, OG man goes before Mavs man because you're the OG, but he is the man. So you guys fight over that. Lethal Migraine also wants to say a little something. He says, everything should be shaped into a Chalupa shell. Chalupa shaped pizza, for example, would be amazing. I am surprised Tostino's has never had a chalupa-shaped pizza yet. Lethal Migraine, you are usually so incredibly divisive, but this is one of the absolute greatest comments that not only you've ever written in, but that anyone's written in. This is a phenomenal comment. This is why we keep you around. Despite your heresy, despite your hatred of of of, of, of insomniac, th- these are the reasons, because that is a beautiful thought from a beautiful mind right there. It, Tostino's did... It's like, dude, what the fuck do you need a calzone for if you had, like, a chicken chalupa equivalency of, like, a pizza? Can, can you imagine that? Because what's the thing that sucks about calzones? It's, you know, you think you're ready to bite in, but shit, it's like a hot pocket, super hot in the middle. It's like, oh, fuck, I'm burning my mouth. Dude, the, the chalupa not only solves that potential for you to burn your mouth, but more importantly, it just makes it a more portable and easy taco to eat on the go. Listen, man, you could say, oh, well, you know, the nice thing about a calzone is it's kind of like pizza on the go. It's less messy. It's easier to just pick them and grab. I, I would argue just the opposite. I would argue the chalupa works better because you get to hold the part that's not messy and all the messy stuff's in the inside and it's well kept with the wrapper and the chalupa shell. And it's, I don't know, I just I just picture like a busy man in New York who's a very important man, probably someone who makes decisions that will affect all of our lives, a very, very important busy man. And he's running around New York trying to get from meeting to meeting. He's a very 
important busy man with things, places to be and people to meet with. And this man needs to keep himself nourished while on the go. And I think the Chalupa Shell pizza equivalency made by Tostino's presented by 1000 Thieves in Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, I think that is a really, really compelling way to get your nourishment on the go. I, I love this idea, Lethal Migraine. I'm all for it. And Taco Bell, don't feel free to limit yourselves to the Tex-Mex. If you want to make a Chalupa pizza, I don't think anyone in the audience would object to that. So Tostino's ain't the only one with the uh, pizza skills here. All right. And then Lethal Migraine also says, I previously said in the past, Taco Bell is the greatest science experiment food ever made. There's no reason to not eat Taco Bell at least three times a week. And that is, of course, in response or that 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 comment, that honesty then sparked Mavs Man uh, to say, I am ashamed slash proud to say that I eat Taco Bell around four to five times a week as it's the only place close to my work. Mavs Man, I have a question for you. Let's say there's a Taco Bell, let's say across the street from your work, equal distance in, in any direction. You have a Taco Bell, a Popeyes, a McDonald's, and let's throw something really shitty in there too, like a Panera Bread. You got all of those within like equal distance from from the entrance of your workplace. How, let's be honest, all those options available. Are you still going to Taco Bell four to five times a week or are you, are you sharing the love with some of the others? Let us know. All right, and then next up, we got we to gotta talk about Starfield, okay? So Mojo writes in and says, bro, you want to cook the perfect... <laughs> I love how I say, now let's talk about Starfield. And the first sentence is, you want to know how to cook the perfect steak? Uh, but Mojo says, watch a Bobby Flay guide to the perfect steak on YouTube. The guy's the best. Plus, he's a world-renowned chef on a regular S-H-M-O. On a regular... And a regular schmo. Okay, sorry. Dumb blonde. Uh, on a side note, honestly, we've been hearing so much about Starfield for way too long now. It's getting ridiculous with so much media hype that it's going to ruin the game for me. Mojo, I love this comment all around. But first, I got to say, Gordon Ramsay is a, is a renowned chef. So why do I need to watch Bobby Flay? I know who Bobby Flay is, okay? He was in Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off on the Disney Channel. I fucking know who he is, okay? But why, you know, if GR gave me a great tutorial on how to make a steak, and I tried it, and it worked perfectly, why do I need to go give Bobby Flay a try? What the fuck is this guy going to tell me that the the great GR hasn't already said? So I I don't understand that portion of the comment. Maybe I'll watch the video just out of pity for this Bobby, Bobby Flay, whoever the fuck that is. But I'm perfectly happy with the tips and tricks that have been bestowed upon me from the great, but not late, Gordon Ramsay. So watch, watch it there. Make sure you always have an extra amount of respect and admiration for the ultimate, dare I say, the OG celebrity chef, Gordon motherfucking Ramsay. Now, as for Starfield, I could not agree more with what you're saying here, Mojo. Starfield is a game I obviously will no doubt play when it comes out. But I feel exactly the same about you. In fact, I kind of feel this way about almost anything Bethesda makes. And a lot of times, like the biggest games in, in the industry, I definitely felt this way about Cyberpunk all last year leading up to its release before we knew the game was a completely broken piece of shit. Like, I, I can't help but, get, but feel this way a lot with some of the biggest games in the industry. But yeah, Starfield, I definitely have a very similar thing where it's just like they announced this game way too prematurely. And people have just been speculating and rumoring and straight up lying about it for so fucking long that at this point I'm like, I don't care. You, you know what I care about more? The Outer Worlds. Obsidian's kind of counter to like a Fallout Starfield game. You know what I care about more than the next Skyrim game? Avowed. <laughs> Obsidian's like kind of response to like an Elder Scrolls type game. That's 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 still kind of like the one 
fanboyish fueled bummer in all of this is like I like Obsidian more than Bethesda, and I loved the idea of you know now that that short period where Microsoft owned Bethesda or didn't own Bethesda but owned Obsidian, with them being like, okay, we're we're going to use Obsidian to make our own kind of Bethesda competitor games, you know, with Outer Worlds and Avowed and things like that. And then that was like a nice little thing for ten seconds before Microsoft was like, yeah, I just can't. We're buying Bethesda also, but. I can't help but agree with you on this, where it's just like, every time someone wants to say something about Starfield, it's like, dude, we don't even know what this game fucking looks like. Shut the hell up. I don't care how excited you are for this game. You are, like, I just need you to understand. You are currently excited for a title card and someone telling you Skyrim in space. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know what it plays like. Nothing. You've never seen a fucking screenshot of this game. But people won't shut up about how is it possible that a game like Starfield can have more attention going for it than a game like Back for Blood that we've seen extensive gameplay of that we've had betas for that looks incredible in all regards. And we've seen tons of footage of it and it's coming out imminently. We have a release date for it. But a game like that is like a, a total second class citizen compared to like a Starfield, which is just like. Wow, one day we get to play a glitchy Bethesda game in outer space. Think about it. It's like, it just sounds like Skyrim presented by Elon Musk or something like that. I'm like, eh, meh. I'm sure the game's going to be great. You know, like judged on its own merit, I'm sure it'll be at the very least a really good game. But man, oh man, am I tired of hearing about it and we haven't even seen the fucking game yet. Tadi Vasilev, who I pronounce your name like that every week and every week you tell me I butcher it but then you continue to not tell me how to pronounce it properly so I'm gonna start calling you Hot Toddy so Mr. Hot Toddy says left ashamed once again well life is life and that's of course you referring to me butchering your name now Starfield is doomed to fail yes I said it it gets the same cyberpunk treatment even though we don't know shit about the game and it's driving me crazy also I had a bad feeling about E3 we want a goddamn release date if I don't and I don't care if it's three years or more away. Just give us a month. All right, Hot Toddy. First of all, I feel a little bad that I didn't read this first before what I said on the last comment because I feel like I just kind of took the wind out of your sail a bit with, with my commentary. But yeah, I, th- I think you're in the same boat pretty much as me and Mojo where it's like, yeah, man, it's like y- y- it's it's cyberpunk all over again. It's like, we don't know shit about this game yet. Gamers can't stop fucking sweating out all their orifices in their $400 gaming chairs with their fucking black lights on on their twitch streams about how fucking starfield is gonna do their laundry and mow their lawn for them it's like dude calm the fuck down we don't even know this game and 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 listen i get it okay it's if you told me like oh microsoft is forming another new triple a studio from the ground up and they're working on a game called starfield it is an open world um western rpg set in outer space i get it it's like that's a little more vague than saying like Microsoft bought Bethesda, who make Fallout and Skyrim, which are the same fucking game with different settings, and now they're making another one of those same fucking games, but with a new setting, which is Outer Space. I I get it. It's like, there have been enough Fallout and Skyrim or Elder Scrolls games that we know generally what to expect from a way it feels, a gameplay perspective, and all that when it comes to Starfield. So I get being excited in that regard because there is a precedent set for the one and only fucking type of game that Bethesda Game Studios can make, but... Again, it's still a very specific game that you have never seen a goddamn screenshot of. And we're all, like, losing our shit like it's a new flavor of Mountain Dew. But, like, hold the fucking phone. You gotta taste the drink before you you, you do the do. You can't do the do by seeing a goddamn logo. 
poser. All right. Now that we're all riled up, my mother writes in and says, now this next topic is about ketchup and M&M's. Not together, but separately. Your hatred of ketchup and your comparison of it to mayonnaise is hypocritical. Ketchup does exactly the same thing as mayonnaise to those who enjoy it, and it certainly helps increase flavor in many, many foods. You just have a bad attitude towards ketchup, and nothing is going to change your mind. Also, Taco Bell is highly unhealthy. In case you didn't know, chickens are not shaped like tacos. Any taco-shaped chicken meat is nothing more than chicken slime, which is little more than unhealthy ingredients and salt. I suggest a three-day water fast, and then perhaps a vegan diet for a month. Okay, mom, first of all, no one said anything about health, so why you gotta drag health into the conversation, first of all? Second of all, that is, and I love you, an unfair thing to say about about chalupa-shaped chicken. That's like saying the chicken sandwich is is an abomination because where do you see, where do you go around and see chickens shaped like Frisbees? You don't. So clearly, uh, Chick-fil-A is making an abomination sandwich by by making chicken into a patty. It's like, no, man, you, we have the technology to take the meat and to form it into something different. It doesn't make it slime. It just makes it smart. Just because we know that chickens are so, are so biologically stupid that they don't grow their bodies in a way that makes sense for us functionally to eat them doesn't mean that we should suffer for it. It just means that we need to come up with a creative solution to a specific problem. And that's what Taco Bell have done here. They've looked at the chicken, which is ergonomically a fucked animal, and they have said, oh, well, what if we form its meat into the shape of a taco shell? Boom, problem solved. It's just like how Steve Jobs says, what if we had all the information in the world in your fucking pocket, and then we got the iPhone? It's not like, oh man, computers aren't supposed to be shaped like slabs that fit in your pocket. That's, oh, that's dangerous. That's unhealthy. No, someone saw a solution to a problem and saw a need in the market and saw a way to push humanity forward. Chicken Chalupa Supreme, the naked chicken Chalupa, in my opinion, I don't see how it could be any any different from the same concept of the iPhone. It's just, it's just humanity evolving. So that, and also fuck ketchup. All right. Mr. Miggy says ketchup goes well on dry, salty things to ease the dryness or saltiness of like fries or basket or breakfast sandwich. Mayo or a turkey sandwich would ruin the sandwich for me. Peanut M&Ms are amazing. Peanut butter ones are close second. Also, how's your little kitty Lala doing? Don't try to distract here. Don't try to bring my cat into this to distract from what you're saying. Listen, Mr. Miggy, first of all, if something is dry and too salty, don't eat it. Don't put something disgusting on something disgusting to make it less disgusting. That's like trying to get your your cheating girlfriend to stop cheating on you by cheating on her. It's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to make everything worse. So, so do yourself a favor and don't eat the dry, salty food instead of putting disgusting shit on top of it, okay? Mr. Miggy, first of all. Second of all, you just you just you have just committed a cardinal sin. Mr. Miggy, I love you. This is an early this is probably your first offense, so I'll mm, serious warning. But you tell me you're gonna put ketchup on a breakfast sandwich one more time, I will throw your ass in jail. This is I mm, very few things make me as irate as as people putting ketchup on eggs. It's not appropriate. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't taste good. That's an objective fact. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson did a whole fucking seminar on it. You 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 put your ketchup on your fucking croissant egg and cheese sandwich. I don't do it. It's a bad boy thing to do. Okay? 
and mayonnaise is good, so that was wrong there about the turkey sandwich. But how is Lala doing? Well, thank you for asking, Mr. Miggy. Lala is doing just fine. She is just sweet as can be. She's opened up so much. Now she's gotten so we, we've gotten her. We've tried to we've tried to encourage her to just like jump on things and crawl on things and let her feel like you know the entire apartment is a is a jungle gym. There's nowhere she shouldn't feel comfortable with going, with exceptions like. Don't stay on top of the stove because it might be hot or, you know, don't bite the plants because they might be poisonous. So there are certain examples of things we try to tell her no to. But for the most part, I want my cat to feel like she can do everything and anything because I want her to feel comfortable in her environment. I understand she's an animal and she has weird animal urges and curiosities and I just want to be very comfortable. So we've finally gotten her to a point. She's still pretty afraid of being on the bed, but we've finally gotten her to the point where she's okay with the kitchen countertops. So now what she does is she'll jump on my my chair that I sit on at the at, at the counter. Uh, and she'll like just like look all cute there. And then if I'm cooking or doing the dishes, so she'll jump from the chair up to the counter and then stare at you intently. She's just begging for snacks, but it's the cutest thing in the world. And she'll just stare at you and look all curious. And then she'll start sniffing around on things on the counter, like the salt shaker or or whatever is up there, like some mail. And it, it's pretty adorable. And so we've we've gotten into a little routine now where I'm like, I, I just feel guilty that like we're cooking like a specific dinner for ourselves, and the cat just has to eat the same shit cat food over and over again so now we will give her like we'll buy a bag of like frozen shrimp and every couple nights we'll like cook a couple shrimp for her and it's so cute because now she knows like the counter is the place to wait for food so she'll sit at the she'll sit at the counter on like the bar stool as if like she's sitting down to eat and just wait really patiently for you to serve her her shrimp and then oh my god the second she sees the shrimp like come out of the the pan or the or the pot or whatever however you're cooking it she will just like jump straight forward she won't let you finish peeling it she won't let you finish plating it she'll just jump in and start try to start snatching it because she this girl loves seafood so much she's just the the sweetest cutest little kitty and i appreciate you asking about her because she is a she's now the most important thing in my life and i will i will physically harm anyone who ever does anything wrong to my cat uh with that said xbox uh xbox xbox is an xbox podcast remember when xbox ran windows 8.1 god i sure miss those days huh uh, and then Lethal Migraine uh, ruins all credibility by saying M&M's do not taste, do not all taste the same. Red and blue taste like vomit. Tan were the best. Then green, then yellow, then brown. I avoid M&M's and it's easier to not eat them than to pick out the nasty red or blue ones. Lethal Migraine, stop. All M&M's taste the same. Don't do this. Do not open this can of worms. Not only because you're just objectively wrong and I can't handle the stupidity right now, but more important than that, I can't handle this spawning something. I don't want there to be some fringe person out there listening to the show right now who hears you try to explain that apparently the color of the M&M affects the flavor of the M&M because then they might write in and start defending this and then you might start a whole militia of M&M color flavor advocators and if that happens, I'm going to pull the plug on this goddamn podcast. We are not starting this conversation. I'm not going to enable this to happen because you know it's going to be a thing that drags on for at least four episodes. We're not doing this shit. All M&Ms taste the same. Unless, of course, it's a different flavor. You know, peanut to peanut butter, uh, hazelnut to regular. Th- that's different. But I don't give a shit if the shell is blue or if the shell is brown. It is the same fucking flavor profile. We're not doing this lethal migraine. We're not doing this. <laughs> okay.
Now, my brother wants to be uh, play devil's advocate for the whole microtransactions loot box scandal that people are always on about. He says, modern loot boxes and microtransactions are almost all cosmetic. People need to stop hating them. They're fun sometimes. I have millions of skins on Gears 5. I generally prefer battle passes, but microtransactions are just fine. So I think my brother's trying to rationalize his his spending habits in video games here. But no, all joking aside, I, I hate to admit it, but I, I tend to actually agree with him for the most part on this because I think microtransactions and loot boxes and things like that have matured to a point now. You know, we've gotten through the the initial shitty first few years of like, should we put like pay-to-win content or game-breaking abilities and in items behind paywalls and you know that that was all scandalous when it was happening but the idea of microtransactions have matured and faced enough backlash now to the point where it's almost always just cosmetic shit like there's like i don't know if you can name a single game that's come out in the past like two or three years where you've had the ability to pay to make yourself more competitive than, than someone else or anything like that it's just that's just not really how it works anymore so I tend to agree. I think I think this stuff is a lot easier to ignore than people like to let it on. Let on. Like for example, I was playing a shit ton of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War the first few months it came out, and never once was I like, "All right, let me spend twenty bucks so I can buy this stupid um, COD esports skin for my character that makes him look like a Twitch streamer, or this like." skin for my gun that makes it look like an anime girl all over my gun like I never once felt compelled to spend real money on that shit but it's there if you want it and I never felt like man you know zombies in Black Ops Cold War is pretty good it's probably the best zombies we've had in Call of Duty in a couple years however it's the fact that I could potentially spend money on skins and multiplayer that really makes zombies suck and that's why Black Ops Cold War is a trash game. Like, I've never been able to connect the dots in that way, which is what it seems like most gamers are doing, where I'm just like, I, I don't care about the microtransactions, so I ignore them. Like, it's one thing if you're talking about, like, when Battlefront 2 came out in 2017, you know, how at the very start people are like, what the fuck, you know, all the good characters are locked behind loot boxes and all this bullshit, and if you want to get it, if you want to unlock it the natural way without spending money, it would take you know, 150 hours of gameplay just to get this one character. Like, I get why people were upset about those things. I'm not trying to dismiss that stuff. But what I am trying to defend is, like, this is a way for developers and publishers to make some extra money so they don't have to bump the price of games for you and try to sell you on a bunch of other stupid shit. It attracts the people that want it and the people that don't can kind of forget about it. So, I don't know. At, at least with microtransactions, I'll defend that. I, I still don't like loot boxes. I really am not a fan of loot boxes, but I don't. I really don't mind battle passes or just straight up like buy this pack in the store or buy this specific cosmetic in the store. Like that stuff doesn't bother me at all. I I think people are overreacting as well, but maybe it's because we grew up in the same household and we absorbed the same stupidity. Although that's not possible because you ate ketchup growing up and I did not. Now a real question my brother has is if you had to, guys listen. If you had to remove one Disney restaurant, which would you pick and why? What is the worst menu item you've ever had at Disney? Hashtag pandering. This is absolutely pandering because I know I know for a fact you don't give a shit about this question. But goddamn, do I love it anyway because you know you know I started an Xbox podcast because I didn't fit in with the Disney kids. And so I felt like I had to do something else. So thank you for giving me a platform to talk about Disney. Cracks knuckles. Okay, so this is a hard question because... No offense, I, I don't think you understand the scale and the scope of the question you just asked. There are literally hundreds of places to eat at Walt Disney World alone. 
So to just ask, oh man, that's just like saying, what is the worst game mode in a video game you've ever played? I guess that's not a crazy question to ask. It's just like, it's really, really hard to narrow a question like that down. But I, I, I gotta be honest, I, I don't know if I have a definitive answer, but I, I can give you a couple of uh, quick examples of, of really bad experiences. There is a, at Disney's Coronado Springs re- uh, Resort at Walt Disney World, one of my favorite, one of my favorite resorts, there is a, there is a restaurant called Maya Grill, and it is so fucking beautiful. You walk in, and they've like literally created like a Mayan pyramid, and the whole, the whole, um, restaurant just has like this old Mexico, like Mayan era, like themed, uh, aesthetic to it. And it's just such a fucking beautiful restaurant. It's kind of a quieter restaurant cause it's one of the ones in the resorts, not in the parks. And it's just like, it's just really beautiful. Everything about it's, it is a stunning looking restaurant in one of my absolute favorite resorts. It's so, so beautiful. I love going to that resort and all the other dining at this resort, I gotta say, as a side note, is f- fantastic. The quick service restaurant's fantastic. The sports bar is good. The uh, the higher end dining in Grand Destino Tower, all all these things. This 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 resort is known for good dining all around, except for Maya Grill. Despite being a beautiful restaurant and a beautiful resort surrounded by other great restaurants to eat at of all price points, Maya Grill just sucks ass. So the one time my girlfriend and I actually stayed at this resort, we made reservations to eat here. And everything sucked. My girlfriend got like this red snapper thing that was absolutely flavorless and disgusting. I got, uh, I don't even remember what I got. It was that forgettable. But I just remember being like, it's fine. And 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 I got to always preface with, I'm a human trash can. So like I, I could eat, like I could find like a leftover slice of pizza from three weeks ago in the refrigerator. And it would be just a stale brick. And I would still find a way to get enough enjoyment out of it to see myself through the entire crust or like the entire, sorry, the entire piece rather. But dude, this was a restaurant where I just literally couldn't handle it. It was so mediocre. Um, I, we got like some kind of like chorizo uh, cheese dip thing that was really bad. It, it was a very, very disappointing restaurant. So that's one for sure. I don't know. There's it, There really aren't many places I've eaten at Disney World that are like, wow, that was bad. That was the worst thing I've ever eaten. That restaurant's the only one that stands out as like a not good restaurant, like a place I would actively tell people not to eat at. But like even like the other bad ex- like there are very few bad examples I've ever had eating at Disney. Like for example, like we ate at a place called Ohana, which is at Disney's Polynesian Resort, and it is one of the most popular restaurants at Disney. Period. It's such a famous, popular restaurant for anyone going to Disney, and it's a really hard restaurant to get reservations for because of its popularity. It is like a you know Polynesian Hawaiian themed like restaurant where you sit down, they just keep se- serving you like pot stickers and sticking in like sticky noodles and and just endless skewers of like shrimp steak and chicken and this place is just like it's like all you can eat just endless mounds of like amazing food and they have like this incredible bread pudding they serve at the end for dessert and it's a really popular restaurant and the one time we went I had a really good time there um, except I ate like a billion shrimp and it really fucked with me and made me feel really really sick that night so even though I enjoyed eating at the restaurant my association with that restaurant forever is that I got really sick after eating there. And so, I mean, that that's a thing that happened. But, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I can't – man, I just – Disney food is, like, at its worst usually. It's, it's like, good, not great. And at its best, it's, like, best meal I've ever had. So, for the most part – and I'm talking everything from, like, hot dog stand inside the theme park to, like, four-star restaurant in a resort – like every everywhere you eat at Disney, for the most part, is at least a safe bet, in my opinion. But then again, I'm a human trash can. Thank you for thank you for allowing me to to indulge for a moment. 
younger brother. Now, our final comment of the week comes from one Mr. Arctic Chief who wants to bring it on back to Halo, back to Xbox, if you must, who says, Halo Legendary on Solo is because, and this is because last week I I pointed out how ballsy you were to be a, a Halo Legendary Solo player on your first run-through of every Halo game, and you said, Legendary Solo is because I've got a little bit of an obsession of having something exclusive. Halo 4 Legendary Solo granted you the Mark VI armor, so naturally I had to have it before anyone else. I did forget to mention that I also bought the Halo Reach Slim Xbox 360 and the Halo 4 Slim as well. To be honest, when I had the Xbox One X, I could hardly tell the difference playing with all my friends who didn't have it. I would be in a game maybe 30 seconds before them. And then, side note, and these are all responses to things we said on the podcast last week. That's why it might sound a little disjointed. I'm, I'm doing a bad job of pairing it all together. Wrapping up, you say, Amiibo, yes, I have them all except the Squid Sisters, Callie and Marie. I've never been able to see them in person. Amiibo nowadays is ex- is that exactly. They hardly serve a purpose, maybe special armor or something. I just have to collect them all. Also, what is your Twitter handle? I remember you saying it in a prior episode, but I cannot find it. Arctic Chief, this is a... I'm going to ignore the Halo stuff, which is weird because I love Xbox but and Halo, but I, I want to focus on this Amiibo thing for a second here because this is driving me absolutely nuts because I think I have those two Amiibo you're talking about. No, I don't. Okay, so sorry. I... I, I love Splatoon. I, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show. That's that's one relatively recent thing Nintendo's done that I actually love. I really love Splatoon. I think Splatoon's an, an incredibly fun game. Splatoon 2 is actually like one probably like top two favorite games on Switch. Like I really love Splatoon. I was gonna say, I think I have the Callie and Marie uh, Squid Sister Amiibo. I'm like, maybe I should just send them to you because I, I they're in storage somewhere. But then I thought about it. I was like, oh yeah, that's not true. I bought the three pack set when the first Splatoon first came out, where it comes where it comes with a squid and then the Inkling boy and girl, but it it doesn't come with Callie and Marie. So I don't I don't have them. I have the other set that I think is probably more common. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, dude. Props to you for sticking through and, and collecting them all. I mean, one of the biggest money sinks in my life. I. I want to sell my Amiibo so bad, but here's the problem is I open them all, which I don't really regret doing. I, I kind of hate keeping things in their packaging, but I open them all, which I think just inherently makes them less valuable. And then second of all, I don't want to go through the, the the headache of trying to like stage them and sell them and put them on eBay and all that and shipping them and all that shit. I don't even know that half of them are worth that much. I have some rare ones. I have like, I have Wii Fit Trainer. I have the original run of the uh, Animal Crossing Villager. So I do have some like relatively hard to get ones, you know, but like, oh man, I just, <laughs> the, the trouble of trying to go through getting all those sold. I don't, I don't know. The only ones I keep around really, the only ones that aren't in storage now are like, I have like Mario, Animal Crossing Villager, Sonic, and like Omar from Pikmin. I think I have like those four on my computer desk somewhere, but man, I just, I regret the Amiibo splurging, but I'm proud of you for sticking through and not giving up like me, an actual quitter. So Props to you, and that is going to do it for all of our comments this week. If I had to count, I would say that about 9 of the 15 were not about video games. Uh, 12 of the 15 weren't about Xbox, so that's a new record. But uh, remember, if you want to comment in, I told you how to how to find the show. Don't be shy. Reply. Oh, wait. Sorry. Arctic Chief, you asked me about my Twitter handle, about my Twitter handle so I got to tell you that. So I, my Twitter handle, another reference to an older time, is... At second best rock. I used to be in a rock band. So at second best rock 
on Twitter. I never say my Twitter handle. I actually, in the earlier days of Xbox on, I used to always be like, follow me on social media at, and then I would just say something stupid off the top of my head. Um, but I stopped doing even that. I just, I don't know why I've always been weird about plugging myself, even if it's my own show, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those like obligatory things. Every podcast does where they're like, that's it for this week's show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at blah, 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 blah. blah. And until next week, like I, I fucking hate that. Like whenever someone's like, Oh, what's your Twitter handle? I'm just like, mm-hmm. so there it is. I don't say it often, but my Twitter handle is at second best rock. Probably not a worthy follow. I've been on Twitter for almost a decade now. And I, I was actually, it's funny you asked this question because I was remarking this week. It's like, I go through little, there's about like three times a year where it looks like I'm finally picking up on Twitter. It looks like people are finally like engaging with me and talking to me and following me. I'm like, oh man, Twitter's going to become fun. It's going to be less of me just scrolling and watching other people talk to each other with me like sitting out. I'm like, it's, it's, here we go, here we go. And like, I'll like gain 10 followers in a month. And like, there's like two new people I meet. And we start interacting a lot. And I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great. Here we go. And then like, it fizzles out. And then it's like, we stop interacting. No one keeps following me. I, I start losing a bunch of followers. And we're right. I, I've been at the same like, like 350 or whatever followers for like literally seven years at this point. Like when I made my Twitter account, it was for my rock band back in high school. And I had a friend back then who had one of those like Twitter fan accounts for like emo warp tour bands. And she, it was just like a fan account that like tweeted out shit about like music and, and warp tour and stuff like that. And it was like a small fan account that amassed like a following of like, it was like 50,000 followers or something like that. It was pretty impressive, you know, for like a little high school kid. But uh, yeah, she, she gained like 50,000 followers who were like really active and like interested in like everything she had to say online. And so when we started hanging out, she would be like, guys, be sure to check out support local music and check out my friend at second best rock. And I would just get like a shit ton of follows. She'd, she'd just be like, check out my friend. And then I would get like 150 followers in a day. I'm like, Oh shit, look at me. I'm going to, I'm famous on Twitter. And this is me like at age 17, 18. And I got to a point where I had like 500 followers. I went from like 20 to 500 in like a matter of like two weeks or something like that. I was like, Oh yeah. And, (laughs) and that's pretty much all my Twitter follows to this day. It's so funny because it's dropped, you know, in the years since I've stopped doing music and everything, it's dropped down to like 350 or whatever it is now. And it's like every year it's like on an annual basis, I'll probably gain about 50 followers and lose about 50. That's not, that's not true. I'd probably say 30 and 30. I'll gain 30 and lose 30 over the course of a year. So it stays stagnant. I have about like, 250 inactive accounts that are from like when I was in high school 10 years ago from when I was in a rock band following me that are just inactive Twitter accounts. And then I've got like maybe 80 active Twitter accounts that are a combination of like people that just don't interact with me or I don't interact with them. And then like the seven people I actually do like like the tweets of and things like that. Twitter's not a fun experience for me because that's basically the bulk of it. But I don't know. I just, I, I don't like Twitter. It's, 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 I'm very, very addicted to it. And it's a website I just don't like a lot. So I'm always like, I don't want to like be out there like, Hey, I have a podcast guys follow me, but you, you ask. So at second best rock, if you want to follow me warning, I don't tweet a lot about Xbox. I try, I, sometimes I feel pressured to talk about Xbox just because I, I recognize nowadays if people follow me, that's probably wise because I do the show. Most of my tweets are either grammatically incorrect nonsense or something about Disney food. So just be warned. But thanks thanks for asking, Arctic Chief. Now let's, like I said, don't be shy. Reply. Jumping in. Let's get into the news. But no, can't talk about the news. I got to tell you what I've, been, what I've been playing, okay? Wait, can't tell you about what I've been playing because first I got to tell you what I've been eating. And guys, we already talked about it. The Naked Chicken Chalupa heart emoji. 
I only had it once uh, since it's come back, but goddamn, was it a good time. It was a memorable time. And mom, I don't care what you say about it being unhealthy. I, I had it. It was delicious, and I'll do it again if I have to. And I and I have every intention of doing it again. It, it, it's it's phenomenal. And I agree with you, OG Man Man. I opened mine up, and I was like, this is a little smaller than I remember it. But goddamn, does it taste good. You, it's like that's that's kind of like the the experience of getting the Naked Chicken Chalupa. It's like you order it, you get it, you open it, you go man, that's small. You bite into it. I don't give a shit. It's so fucking good. And that's pretty much the cycle of eating the naked chicken chalupa. But I scarf that thing down. No regrets. I got to get another one maybe this weekend. Who knows? It's a holiday weekend. Fuck it. But uh, yeah, that's what I've been eating. And also just as a side note tonight, I had a little bit of spark of inspiration right before I hit record on the podcast. So TGI Fridays is now making these frozen cheeseburger, pat- frozen burger patties. So we picked those up because you know, I'm a TGI guy. Much like I'm a Black Ops guy, I'm very much a TGI guy. So we pick these up, and I take like a little hoagie roll. I, I, I cook one of the burgers. I put some some caramelized onions, a little cheese on there, slap it all together. That shit's good, man. Real good. So shout out to my, my guys over at the TGI Fridays. Awesome burger patties. Thank you for taking care of us. You always do. Uh, amen. And, uh, you know, if you find yourself at the Walmart and you see, I, I found it at Aldi, surprisingly, but apparently they're mostly sold at Walmart. But if you see the TGI Fridays frozen burger patties, don't pass them up unless you're a fucking PlayStation gamer. But yeah, that's what I've been eating. And then as for what I've been playing this week, man, I really want to play Resident Evil 8. I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. I really want to play Resident Evil 8, but I refuse to spend 60 bucks on it right now. I'm trying to study. I'm trying to stay committed to this whole IT thing I'm doing, but I really want to. I'm, I'm hoping that I can get it for like 40 bucks between now and when Halloween season hits. And then, you know, close to Halloween, I'll play it. But man, I really want to fucking play Resident Evil 8. It looks really good. So I've jumped back into Resident Evil 7, which I've never finished. And man, I, I, told, I was telling my brother, I was like, yeah, I stopped playing because I got stuck at a puzzle or something stupid like that. And then he was like, how do you get stuck on the puzzles? This game is like so fucking linear and easy. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. I have to find a dog head. It's impossible. And then last night I sat down and I tried to play Resident Evil 7. And I was like, oh, wait, my brother's right. I'm just stupid as fuck. Like, this is a very easy puzzle. So I watched a little YouTube video to help kind of get me back on track because I hadn't played the game in like 10 months. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, man, like, I'm I'm right back in Resident Evil 7, so this is good. I'm already halfway through the game anyway, and I don't have to spend money, so I'm just going to stick with Resident Evil 7 for now, see it through the end, and hopefully that will hold me over until it's a proper time for Resident Evil 8, but man, I might I might cave in. It's I'm really tempted to go for Resident Evil 8. I just, I don't want to spend 60 bucks on a game I'm only going to play, you know, for one weekend and then never touch it or think about it again. Not that I'm opposed to supporting games like that, I just, you know, like, I kind of already had my summer spring gaming list and budget planned out and Resident Evil 8 wasn't in the cards but then again Far Cry 6 was and that got delayed so maybe I could justify I I don't know I I want to stay focused on my studies I want to stick to my budget and my gaming schedule I had so we're waiting for Scarlet Nexus and the Ascent in the meantime speaking of which Scarlet Nexus has a demo that's now out so I downloaded that on like Saturday and I sat down to play it and made it about 20 minutes into the demo, and then just went to the dashboard, deleted the demo, I was like, no. And that's not because it wasn't good, it's awesome. Scarlet Nexus is exactly what I hoped it would be based on the trailers, and I cannot wait to play this game. The problem is, I was playing it, and I'm like, listen, this is like a Japanese action RPG, like, this game is all about story, it's all about, you know, it's gonna be a long game, it's gonna be a lot of repetitive combat, like, why am I going to make myself play all this intro stuff just to have to play it again next month when the game comes out? Like, I, let's just, we know the game looks cool. We know it's fun to play. Let's just stop 
and wait for the proper package to be available, and then we'll play it all in one go. So I deleted it out of discipline, and I'm very excited for Scarlet Nexus. That game looks awesome. Feels great. It it feels like the action Japanese action RPG RPG version of Remedies Control, where it's just like everywhere you walk around, the game's constantly flashing at objects, like right bumper to pick it up, right bumper to pick it up, and you just use your telekinesis and just throw shit everywhere. You lock onto an em- enemy, you hold the right trigger at this fucking uh, barricade, and just boom, right in that guy's face. You just throw in his face. It's awesome. So really looking forward to playing that when the game properly comes out, but... 20 minutes with that demo was all I needed to know. No, this this is a game. This is a game for me. I'm gonna wait for the real thing to be out. But other than that, I guess I, I played a decent amount of games this week um, compared to previous weeks. I, maybe I was a little bad with my studying. But the the third game I played was Toy Story 3 for the Xbox 360. Don't ask me why. I just been in a weird Toy Story mood because I keep going to Disney and riding the Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters ride, uh, which is like an interactive dark ride with like a like a gun turret and you shoot targets to get high scores. And I learned how to get the highest score on that attraction. And I've been riding it nonstop at magic kingdom at Disney world over and over and over again. And I've learned how to get the highest score. So that's kind of been my weird obsession. And it's making me in turn want to like watch toy story and shit. So I, I downloaded toy story three, which I've had from games of gold a couple years ago. And I ran through that game real quick. It was only like four hours long or whatever. So I beat that lots of fun avalanche Avalanche Software, one of my favorite developers, rest in peace, Disney Infinity, but yeah, just got to put that out there as well. Shout out to Avalanche, shout out to Toy Story 3, got that under my belt. And with that said, that's what I've been playing. Now let's jump into the news. Here we go. So this is the part I was talking about where we have a decent lineup of of stories or something, but it's like a lot of smaller news stories. Maybe that's what I need to say. Just a lot of smaller news. Shut up. Who cares? First one. God, I love this fucking artwork. All right. From Xbox Wire, Xbox and Bethesda have announced the Xbox and Bethesda Games Showcase for E3 this year. So let me just read you the announcement written by Aaron Greenberg on the Xbox Wire, which reads, Join us Sunday, June 13th for the Xbox and Bethesda Games Showcase. We are thrilled to announce that Xbox and Bethesda uh, Games Showcase will stream on Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific time or 1 p.m. Eastern time for real Americans, uh, for others figure it out. Uh, the show will be focused on games from Xbox Game Studios, Bethesda, and many game creators from our partners around the world. You've told us how excited you are about welcoming Bethesda into the Xbox family, so we know you're going to want a front row seat to the Xbox and Bethesda Game Showcase, a 90-minute show packed with everything you want to know about the epic gaming lineup coming out of this partnership. The incredible games coming to Xbox this holiday. Ooh, they say games. They say plural. Uh, upcoming releases of Xbox Game pa- on Xbox Game Pass and more. You'll be able to watch the showcase in a variety of ways, including Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, blah blah blah. That's that. So along with this, they announced they they announced they showed they revealed like a little a little like logo or or picture for it. God damn, it looks it looks really good. <laughs> the little like a uh, banner promotional artwork or whatever. I don't know why they had to do a promotional artwork piece for their uh, E3 showcase, but I mean, god damn, it looks good. <laughs> so the artwork shows Chief and a bunch of Spartans, Master Chief and a bunch of Spartans uh, in front of a planet looking thing, but depending on which 
corner of the of the of the planet you're looking at it looks like a different game like the top part looks like it's probably halo ring uh, the bottom part looks like it's the starfield logo i don't know what the right part is it's just they're clearly teasing here at multiple things um I, we know they're going to talk about starfield so at, th- at this point it's just like okay we're going to see something about that but yeah so i mean let, let, let's let's jump into the meat here let's stop speculating i find it interesting but also not surprising that xbox and bethesda are going to do their showcase together like this I, not not to say i expected bethesda to do a separate showcase no but you would expect it to be like here's the xbox showcase and of course, Bethesda will be featured in it because they are one of many things under the Xbox umbrella. I, I understand they're keeping Bethesda kind of allowing it to operate separately as its thing. Uh, but man, this is a really weird. You almost wonder, is this going to be like a long transition into encompassing Bethesda into more of the Xbox proper umbrella? Or is this or are they going to continue to do this thing indefinitely where Bethesda is kind of like, knowingly owned by xbox and microsoft but treated as kind of its individual thing uh because it's it's interesting right because obviously xbox does big showcases every year at e3 we know that you know that's the big the biggest part of e3 is what's nintendo gonna do what's sony gonna do what's xbox gonna do which of course as we know in recent years sony doesn't participate anymore nintendo does their own direct but still it's their e3 thing and Xbox really loves big press conferences. Now, Bethesda has been doing uh, E3 press conferences since, I want to say 2015 was the first one. It was the year that they announced Fallout 4, which, you know, famously, they announced Fallout 4 at E3 and then released it that same fall. So the announcement to release cycle was like all of like five months or something like that. It was absolutely glorious. It's the most ideal way to announce and release a game possible, especially a game of that caliber. Um, but... Honestly, I will say personally, I think Bethesda's E3 showings are almost always disappointing. That that first one or two times they did it was pretty good. Like that first one where they did Fallout 4, that was a good one. And then they did that year, which I think was the next year. I think this was 2016, where they had like that whole setup where they were like, oh, it's like a Bethesda theme park. And like the they had a whole presentation where it was like the machine game section and the land about Bethesda and the land about Arcane. And it was kind of like themed like a Disneyland style, like a theme park map and like they had a whole like thematic coherency they had a lot of games to announce that year they had a lot of things to show i thought that was a very good year as well i think that was evil evil within two and doom 2016 and I, I don't really remember what the lineup was that year but it was it was a really solid lineup those first two times but basically every year since that bethesda has kept this thing going where they force themselves to do a presentation at e3 every year and they never have enough to show. It's always just this force like, you guys could have just put this game on Sony stage and this game on Xbox's stage and announced this at a separate event. This didn't even have to be at E3. It's, it's kind of been that thing for the past like three or four years with Bethesda where it's like you you guys cannot justify your press conferences. So I really love that they're putting it in with Xbox because one, it's, it's going to stop this bloated Bethesda conference we have all the time, which is like just way too much and too long. And, and I think it makes people like myself less excited about what Bethesda is working on because I'd rather you give me something short and sweet than give me a forced hour long presentation about like three games you're working on and then a bunch of smaller things I don't care about. So I really am happy about that. That is great. Bethesda going into the Xbox presentation. It strengthens Xbox's showcase and it makes Bethesda you know, look better because now they're kind of forced into sharing the spotlight with everyone else rather than having their own entire press conference. So I like that. 
Now, here's the other weird thing is Xbox historically does some of the longer E3 showings. Long for an E3 press conference is one and a half hours to two hours. Um, short is 60 minutes. We've seen, I feel like with E3 press conferences, I've just been watching these things and following E3 for so long. The shortest you ever see it go is like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, which is really unheard of. 45 minutes being on the lower end. Usually average is an hour to an hour and 20 minutes. Long is an hour and 30 minutes to two hours. And usually the two hour ones are like Microsoft or Sony. They're the ones who are willing to go that two hour length generally. So Knowing that Xbox usually goes for a pretty long time and has all that time for themselves, but now is 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 only going for 90 minutes or an hour and a half. So they're going, you know, not a short amount of time, but what is a relatively tame amount of time for, for an Xbox press conference. But they're also sharing the stage with Bethesda. That makes me excited too, because now it means Xbox is going to have to be a little more concise, succinct, selective about what they choose to show, how long they have to show it, because they got to share the stage with Bethesda. And that makes me very happy. So now it forces Xbox to condense what their what their role of game is, games are, to just the really, really important things and limits how much time they have to show them. I like that. And same thing with Bethesda. It's, we know, like, even if Bethesda has a big year ahead of them, it's like, there are only so many studios at Bethesda. Like, at, at most, you're releasing, like, what, two big games and, like, a smaller thing here and there? It's like, calm down. We don't need an hour-long press conference for that. So I really love that we have an hour and a half to show everything Microsoft at Xbox has to show as well as Bethesda. I think that's going to make for a much better presentation or showing. Plus we already know we're going to see Starfield and Halo, which are going to be two of the bigger showings um, that take up more time than most other things that will be shown at the show. So again, it's like, that's really exciting. We uh, he, here are some things I'm pretty confident we can say we're going to see, right? Forza in some respect, whether that's horizon or motorsport, Halo infinite and Starfield. I think all three of those things will get extensive looks so other than that, it's like we'll probably get a gameplay reveal for Fable, which is pretty exciting. And State of Decay 3, we'll probably get not a, not a gameplay demo, but like a, a gameplay trailer. And so like those are a couple things I can think of. Oh, um, um, Hellblade 2 will definitely get a gameplay reveal. So th those are a couple things that's like guaranteed to be shown, right? And with that, that's like, okay, well, that's right there is at least a third of your show, you know, between those games right there. So now it's like, okay, well, now you're down to like 50, 60 minutes to show the rest. Now they're really time constrained. And that makes me excited because I think the less time they have with the more amount of shit they have to show means that they're really going to work on that pacing. I, I love when E3 feels like a big fun event. I love when E3 feels like, all right, it's like big announcement after big announcement after big announcement. They don't hold on to one thing for too long. I mean, that's why everyone hates Ubisoft and EA's press conferences, right? Because EA's just like, here's 15 minutes on FIFA and 10 minutes on Madden and 15 minutes about pandering to gamers and apologizing for loot boxes. It's like, no one gives a shit about that. We don't need an hour and 20 minutes of EA doing this shit. Like, just show us your games, take 30 minutes and go the fuck away. That's all we need, right? And so I love that, you know, 90 minutes to show all this shit and we already know they have a lot of big stuff to show us means that this is going to be a pretty packed show with hopefully some pretty great pacing and meaning that they won't dwell too much on like smaller things that don't matter. Like I don't want, you know, it's, it's nice sometimes when they show the spotlight on like a small indie darling game or something like that. But like, I don't want you to focus five minutes of the show on some cute little indie game that like is very niche and doesn't appeal to a wide market. I want you to focus on your big stuff, bring out the big guns. That's what we want to see. And if, if they have a lot to show and not a lot of time to show it, I think it's going to make for a pretty exciting show. So really looking forward to that. Other than that, 
what is there to say, right? This is this is really more than just a mark your calendars announcement kind of thing. I mean, at the time that this show goes live on Thursday, the 27th, that puts us one, two, that puts us like two and a half weeks away from this. And sorry, I'm just realizing as, I, as I'm recording, I'm going to be visiting family on that day. I'm going to have to tell all my family to fuck off for a while so I can watch that because, oh boy, <laughs> that's going to be a rough one. But yeah, guys, I mean, this is, this is a, a great lineup. This is really exciting shit. So really happy about this. Really excited and looking forward to this event. I know you guys all are too. Listen, Xbox gamers, Xbox fans have been incredibly patient all this time, right? We spent, you know, and I always talk about how I have a really soft spot for the Xbox One generation, but I'm not going to lie. We spent so long as like big Xbox fans waiting and waiting and waiting for Microsoft to just be like, here are the big guns. And even last year, last year's the year I thought we were going to get it. And we kind of got it. We got it with an asterisk. We got it with like, okay, here's a Halo Infinite and confirming of Halo and revealing of out and all these things that were really big. But at the same time, it's like, we need a gameplay. We need a release dates. We need like one more thing. Like it was like there, but not quite there, you know? Um, with Xbox last year, but now it's like the Series X is out. The marketing is all good. People have a lot of faith in the Xbox brand. You got Bethesda in the fold. Let's do this, right? If they can come out and show gameplay, 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 big game, big game, big game, release date, release window, idea of when we can expect this or that. If we can see that shit and you can give us a really great lineup to look forward to and not focus on like the small things or the filler just focus on the big tentpole experiences and give us like real concrete ideas of what this game is, what it looks like, when we can expect to see it. If they can really pull that off, then I think Xbox will be set in such a prime position because we've just been waiting and waiting on Team Xbox for the longest time to see it, to see the the pieces fall into place. And last year was like the very last step of it. And it seemed like the year where everything was going to start falling into place, but it wasn't quite there. It was like, okay, we launched the console. Halo got delayed. And if you add up all the big Xbox announcements of 2020, you can make a stellar presentation out of it. But when you bunch them up, when you chop them up into the different presentations we saw and the different news announcements we got throughout the year, I think it felt a little more spread out, but I I think this has like, I'm not trying to fanboy hype this. I think if they do it right, this has the potential to be just a really, really incredible showing. And I'm, I'm guys, I'm really pumped about this. Like I just, I don't, I don't know what to say other than I am extremely excited about, about this. So I I do apologize in advance because now I'm realizing I'm going to be out of town with family. Normally what I would do is, you know, the night, the night that this, the day that this happens, I would record an immediate emergency Xbox on podcast a- episode, but I'm going to be out of town. So the show will still go up on its regular time. It just won't go up early like I would like for it to. So just be aware of that. The showing will be on Thursday, but the podcast won't go up till Thursday or the showing will be on Sunday, but the podcast won't go up till Thursday. Like it's regular time. So be aware of that. That's probably bad for me. It's going to hurt me getting new traffic. Oh, well, anyway, but that's that news, guys. Let me know if you if you have anything to add to it. This is this kind of this screenshot and this formal announcement was just announced earlier today. So I'm sure we're gonna see lots of speculation. There are a couple of numbers smudged on the photo that kind of like wear out. It looks like it says 2002, 2003, 2004, and then smudges out. I'm I'm assuming that is a 20 year celebration of Xbox. Is what it's doing. It's like counting the years of Xbox or something like that. I I don't know. Where's 2001? I don't know. 
But yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm excited. If not, you know, if anything, just just to see more Halo Infinite, man, and, and the fact that we're seeing multiple Spartans here on this probably tells me we're gonna see some multiplayer, and maybe maybe we'll get a multiplayer beta. Oh my God, please, 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 guys, I'm uh, I'm gonna predict this right now. I'm gonna fucking cry if the night of E3 they're just like Halo Infinite beta goes live right now. I will cry because I'll be. 500 miles away from my Xbox uh, without access to the beta. So let, let's, you know, let's hope just for my sake. Fuck all you guys. Let's hope just for my sake that this works out. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's 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 the big news this week. And then we got a couple other stories. Uh, like I told you, it's a lot of news, but not a lot of like massive news. So the, the next two stories, let's just jump into this one. Our next one from, comes from IGN and reads that Microsoft has officially taken over publishing rights for, quote, future iterations of Outer Worlds from Private Division. And that news arrived a day after Take-Two Interactive's president said the company was fully committed to the franchise. During Take-Two's Inter- Interactive's Q4 2021 earnings call, CEO Strauss Zelnick confirmed that The Outer Worlds has sold more than 3 million units since it was released in October of 2019. Later in the call, Take-Two President Carl Slidoff answered a question about Obsidian Entertainment's development, stating that the company was not only excited about the future of The Outer Worlds, but also happy to be part of it, saying, quote, We will be participating in the franchise and whatever the future holds for the franchise, so we feel really good about that. And we think that it's, it's still building an audience and that the game itself has a lot of life left in it. And for the future, we'll see that the fu- what the future holds for it, but we don't think it's a long-term f- but we do think it's a long-term franchise and it certainly is something that we're pleased with the results of. Uh, listeners will of course remember that Microsoft purchased Obsidian in 2018 just months before the announcement of The Outer Worlds. So after this story came out, there was a lot of confusion about, you know, what what does this mean? Does this mean Private Division and Take-Two kind of get to remain in control of the publishing rights of Outer Worlds or what, is, what does this mean for Microsoft owning Obsidian and all that so Private, Divi- sorry, Private Division cleared up the confusion in a statement to Gamatsura saying that while the company would still be supporting the game from 2018 like the original Outer Worlds Obsidian and Microsoft would handle the publishing of future iterations so if there's a sequel if there's anything like that that is all Microsoft's publishing and owning of there um, so they were just simply referring to Outer Worlds, which is weird because the way they worded it, it really made it seem like they are excited about uh, the franchise as if they have complete control over it. So Private Division left this statement to kind of close with saying, Private Division is still supporting the marketing, supporting and marketing the Outer Worlds, including the upcoming release of the Murder on Eridanos DLC for Nintendo Switch. Moving forward, though, Obsidian and Microsoft will be publishing future iterations of the franchise, and we're absolutely thrilled to see where they take it. So it's a little weird the way they say that. So because the original statement does kind of insinuate like, oh, we're going to retain this or or we're excited because why would take Two be excited about the future of the franchise if they don't get to publish it, if they don't get to make the money off of it. So that's that's the weird thing. So it almost makes you wonder, is there a way in which maybe Microsoft and take two have made some kind of agreement where you know let's just assume there's an outer worlds 2 in development which which i assume if it's not actively in development right now there will be in the future where private division and take two get to continue to publish the ip but then pay royalties to to microsoft or something like that because maybe private division still wants to publish it on nintendo and playstation and all that shit i i don't really see that being the case my my expectation of this is that this game is you know, this franchise, when there's inevitably an Outer Worlds 2, 
it is either an Xbox exclusive or it is a timed exclusive on Xbox. And this is Microsoft's IP, fuck you, you snooze, you lose, play Xbox. Uh, especially with anything Obsidian makes. I the, the stuff where it's like a little more like, hmm, this could go in either direction. That was That's more in re- regards to things like Fallout or Elder Scrolls. Because those are such massive games that affect like everyone. Like even the most casual gamers in the world have heard of or played games like Skyrim. So that, you know, when I used to say more often that like that would maybe be the case. Like you still see that stuff on PlayStation. I was of course more so referring to those kinds of games. A game like... Outer Worlds, I don't see why Microsoft, you know, 3 million units, that's a pretty decent success, but it's not a Skyrim success, it's not a Fallout success, I think you take your chances with a game like that, and you say, you want to play the next one, play Xbox, play Game Pass, play PC, so pretty confident that's mostly just a slip up, but you can't help but look into that, is there something, you know, take two knows that they accidentally slipped up on and talked about where they may have publishing rights to the next one uh, or through some kind of agreement with Microsoft, but technically Microsoft owns the IP and could have publishing rights. We don't know. But my assumption is this is them basically saying, you know, in case we decide to continue, in case the game gets supported with more DLC or gets re-released or something like that in some way, like we do like a PS4, PS5, or PS5, Xbox Series X kind of port of the game like that, this could be what they're talking about. And that's possibly the more likely one, right? Is that they do a Outer Worlds PS5, Xbox Series X update, Game of the Year edition, resell it on the new consoles. You could see that being a thing in which Private Division may get to still publish it and put that one out there. So could be in reference to that. But, you know, for the next Outer Worlds game, I fully expect that to be a play on Xbox or play on Game Pass type of entry. But we'll have to we'll have to keep and see. You know, this is obviously what we anticipated and expected from the start here was that, you know, this this IP would go to Microsoft um eventually but interesting to think about just because outer worlds was such a kind of a throw off when it was announced anyway just because we we were just getting used to the idea that obsidian is now microsoft and it's like what are those guys working on by the way and the first thing we saw from them was a game coming to playstation published by not microsoft so obviously that's because that was those deals were made well before the acquisition but uh nonetheless as great as Outer Worlds is, there's a lot of haziness and fuzziness surrounding it. I feel pretty confident in saying that Microsoft is going to give you a reason to want to play the next Outer Worlds game on Xbox or a platform with Game Pass, as they like to say. Our next story comes from GamesIndustry.biz, who we cite all the time now. They're one of my favorites. I really like these guys. They say People Can Fly's Outriders has reached 3.5 million unique players in its first month, April 1st to May 1st, publisher Square Enix announced. This makes the game on track to become the company's next major franchise, the announcement says. John Brook, co-head of the studio at Square Enix External Studio, added that players' average playtime is well over 30 hours, with, quote, extremely high engagement from cooperative play. Quote, launching a new IP is never easy, and we remain very grateful for the community's support and feedback. We continue to listen carefully and we want to assure everyone that we are committed to improving and enhancing the experience in the coming weeks and months. We also look forward to expanding on Outriders in the future. Outriders launched in April, having initially been planned for the end of 2020, but of course getting uh, delayed a few times. In the UK, the game debuted at the number six spot in weekly physical charts, selling predominantly on PlayStation consoles, of course, because the game was available at no additional cost on Xbox through Game Pass. In the US, however, Outriders debuted at number three on the monthly charts from 
on the monthly charts uh, for March, which closed on April 3rd. So only three days. Only beaten out by Monster Hunter's Rise and Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, which is pretty damn impressive considering Monster Hunter Rise had uh, longer on the market on a console with a higher install base and Black Ops Cold War is Call of Duty, so of course. And then, so what you see here is Outriders is pretty successful. And this this makes me really happy. What, what I love about this is how... Outriders was a game that had trouble written all over it from the start. And a year ago, I don't think anyone could have predicted this, right? Because we were waiting on Avengers to come out, and it was kind of a given, even though people were a little lukewarm on the way that game was revealed. I mean, it's Avengers. You have the Avengers IP. How is it not going to be successful? They're going to do Avengers, but Destiny style. Um, And when that game came out and kind of just didn't do what they thought it would do, didn't light the world on fire in the way they thought it would... It immediately spelled trouble for Outriders because it's like, okay, well, they got another game and now the Outriders is out. We know Outriders is a lot more of a one and done single player experience, a lot less of a shared world experience like Avengers. But there are a lot of similarities in the gameplay loop and the kind of game it is anyway, where it just seemed like, well, if Square Enix couldn't clean house with something like Avengers, what makes you think they're going to? They're going to do well with this, like, no-name, unoriginal-looking Gears of War knockoff fucking IP dime-a-dozen Destiny clone, you know? And that was kind of everyone's thought about Outriders for the longest time. I didn't really even start paying attention to the game until, like, January, February, around the time the game got delayed for, I think, its second time, uh, where I was like, you know what? This game actually looks kind of cool. And I I kept following tabs on it and assuming myself that this game's going to flop. This game's going to flop. It's going to be really sad. And I think Square Enix did an incredible job turning things around. I think, first of all, they launched the game in a perfect time. Obviously, it would have been fine in February, I think, because this has been a pretty slow year for game releases, January to now, basically, anyway. But they released the game at a perfect time. That first week of April, especially getting out of the way before you had things like Returnal and Resident Evil and Mass Effect, you know, beating those things out by a couple weeks to a month. Great idea. Um, So the game came out a fantastic idea where it just got to hog the spotlight. And then more important, not maybe more importantly, but I think more astute or or more smartly, as they say in college, um, the idea of putting out that demo a month before the game came out was so smart. Get people, you know, it's like, you know you have a game here that is fun to play. The, the mechanics are there, the hook is there, the game is there. The problem is you don't know if the world and the setting and the characters and everything and the genre are unique looking enough on the surface to sell people. I love that. You put out the demo and you say, play the game and you will get what makes this experience special. And that's exactly what happened. I, I played I played the Outriders demo as soon as it came out on a hunch that the game might be good. It was awesome. I think, And then we saw a lot of people play that demo and say, wow, this game was not even on my radar at all. But I played the demo and it's fucking awesome. And it got a lot of people turned on. And then, of course, the trifecta. You know, the, the third pillar here was getting this game on Game Pass day one. Microsoft had to pay a, pay, a pretty penny for that. And clearly, at, at least in Square Enix's uh, favor, it definitely worked because this, this drew a lot of people to this game. And I'm sure it drew a lot of people to Game Pass as well. And the buzz has been big and the game's been doing very, very well and selling respectably on Xbox despite being available for free on Game Pass. These are all very good signs for everyone. Um, so I think this is really promising, really exciting to see that, you know, hitting that right time of like, there's nothing else really out and people are hungry for new games, especially on their new consoles. Uh, this demo that got everyone a little taste of what to expect to find out that this game is actually really good. And then for Xbox players, just knowing that, 
this game's just accessible through Game Pass. Um, and we know it would have done well even without Game Pass because, I mean, look how the game sold on PlayStation. It sold like crack. And it sure as hell wasn't available for free or through Game Pass or a subscription service at a discounted price on, on PlayStation. So very, very impressive here. And this makes me very happy to see that not only is this game doing well, but this is going to be something that we see Square Enix continue to invest in. Obviously, this game will get plenty of DLC as they've already announced, uh, but expect an Outriders 2 is uh, is what that means for sure. And I think the question from here is, do they make an Outriders 2 in the same vein as Outriders 1, or do they make an Outriders 2 and now feel confident enough to fully open up the game into a proper Destiny Division-like game? Right now, it's a little more like a Borderlands where it is a... It is a complete package that ships. You can finish it and do all the things in the game and it's over. But I think the game obviously lends itself very well to that shared world shooter experience if they want to. And they could make the next Outriders, rather than just another entry in the franchise, they could make the next Outriders a games-as-a-service Destiny Division type game. And I think we might see that. We might see them try to go that way because it seems like obviously there's a lot of interest in in, uh, in um, enthusiasm for this IP. So really, really exciting news there. Big congrats to Square Enix and more importantly, People Can Fly, a developer I've really come to appreciate and admire quite a bit. I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to play that game Painkiller they made back on the PC. It was on the OG Xbox. I really wish that were backwards compatible so I could play it. But Bulletstorm, excellent, excellent game. These guys obviously had their hands on the Gears of War franchise and now with, Bullets, or now with Outriders, they've just done some really incredible work and I'm really happy to see them you know, uh, get that recognition and success. So that's awesome. And then our final story of the week comes from IGN saying that Crystal Dynamics, speaking of uh, Square Enix and Avengers, the makers of Marvel's Avengers and the Tomb Raider trilogy have confirmed, have formed a new game development studio based in Austin, Texas, the company announced. Dubbed Crystal Southwest, the Austin studio will be headed by Dallas Dickinson. Uh, the new studio will be a major part of current and future Crystal Dynamics titles, the company announcement said. Crystal Dynamics is currently hiring for, uh, at, for the studio, including combat designer, economy designer, online service engineer, and plenty more, but adds that the initial team at Crystal Dynamics Veterans is already at work. Immediately right off the bat, what this screams to me, especially because of what they're hiring for, is they need a smaller second team to support and add content to Marvel's Avengers and give that game legs and continue it on while the proper initial team moves on to their next big project, to whatever the next game is. So whether that's a new Tomb Raider or a new IP or whatever it may be, they're moving on to that, and this new studio is being spun up to handle additional DLC and support for Marvel's Avengers and have them kind of be the B team that heads that, that maintains this game as Crystal Dynamics kind of falls back into a more traditional role of making more one-off games or whatever the case may be. So that's kind of how I read this immediately, and I think that's pretty cut and clear. Um, although, you know, you never know. This could just be them expanding and working on multiple projects, multiple games, which, you know, you might see that be the case as well. But after Marvel's Avengers flopping the way it did, I don't know that Square Enix would be like, oh yeah, guys, okay, uh, you guys did such a good job tanking that game. Let's let's ramp up even further and uh, make another Avengers game or something like that. I I think I think Square Enix is still pretty dedicated to trying to make Avengers work, trying to make it more profitable, trying to spin it, turn its reputation around. You think about a game like Destiny One, which you know was really successful financially, but that that franchise didn't really start getting any respect until like 
late in Destiny 1's life. And then with Destiny 2, they basically had to reboot and, and do the whole uh, tr- <laughs> trust and mistrust trial and tribulation all over again. So w- we'll see, but I-, I don't have much to add to this one other than to say I- I'm pretty sure this is the Avengers support studio so that the proper team can go back to making another Tomb Raider or something new altogether. But that's going to do it for all of our major stories of the week. Now we've got a large amount of important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. So we'll just kick off and, and read them off in, in, in order here. We've got IGN reporting that Halo the Master Chief Collection's latest insider update addresses the in-game visual textures for the PC port of Halo Combat Evolved, which players have had complaints about since 2003. Halo Combat Evolved was originally released for PC. It was... When it released for PC, it was widely pointed out that despite performance improvements, the game itself looked like a downgrade from the Xbox version. So 343 is now experimenting with the visual fidelity on Halo's PC port, trying to emulate the Xbox visuals. Interesting thing I didn't know. Next, IGN reports that Bungie is working on a new project or their new multiplayer project game. We've known about this in some form or fashion um, that we know it could have a character focus, could be some kind of potential hero shooter like game. A new job posting advertisement shows that Bungie is looking to recruit contract incubation sandbox designers to design combat systems for the studio's new game. Bungie is also seeking gameplay combat designers to contribute to multiplayer action currently in incubation and there are additional postings online at this moment. Uh, the, the rumor for Bungie for a while has been the other project that they we know they're working on is some kind of competitive FPS, potentially some kind of hero shooter game. But oof, I'm excited to see whatever that is whenever we see it. Next, uh, Ubisoft have, have announced that Far Cry 6's worldwide gameplay reveal will take place on May 28th, which is this Friday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And the game was obviously supposed to be out by now originally before it was delayed indefinitely. So hopefully we'll see a new release date for the game at this event. I I can't imagine we wouldn't, but looking forward to that. A new teaser has been announced for Dying Light 2. And a live stream will be broadcast this Thursday. So the day this podcast goes up at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, just just about five hours after the podcast goes live this week, we'll be getting this Dying Light 2 stream. Again, if we don't get a release date, I don't know. This game's been in such development hell switching switching so many hands and having so many issues along the way that uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully the game looks good because Dying Light 1 was a very fun game. Next, GamesIndustry.biz reports that Resident Evil Village have has reclaimed the top spot for UK physical charts despite a 61% drop in sales week on week. Capcom's game has previously fallen to number two following the new release of EA's Mass Effect Legendary Edition, but a quiet week at retail helped the title to resurface. It mainly sold on PlayStation consoles with 44% going to PS4, 29% of sales going to PS5. That is insane. Resident Evil Village was far ahead of the week's number two spot or game, which was the Switch game Metopia. In Mass Effect Legendary Edition, dropped to number three for the second week in the charts uh, with a 76% drop in sales week to week. Which was to be expected once again. The title sold primarily on PS4 uh, and 28% with 72% on PS4 and 28% on Xbox One. Wow. Uh, The thing I love about these kinds of numbers is it it just gives you such a great idea of how much PlayStation outsold Xbox this this last generation, first of all. Second of all, it it does a great job of highlighting this kind of well-known fact at this point in the industry, which is that 
games really make all their money on those first that first week or two of sales. Like it, it, your game has a couple weeks on the market, it makes all of its money. After that, it's just pocket change for the rest of forever. Nine times out of ten, and this is why you see so many publishers pushing for microtransactions and DLC and all these things because they want people to stick with the game. They don't want to spend tens and tens of millions or sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars developing a game for many years just for it to come out, make all of its money in one week and then fall into obscurity for the rest of forever. So this is just a nice little glimpse of like, that's insane, dude. Like Mass Effect Legendary Edition, we're all talking about it like it's it's the biggest, hottest thing in the world right now because a lot of you guys are playing it. It's a big new thing. EA saw a 76% drop in sales week to week. Now, I'm sure it's still selling very well, but that's a massive drop off, man. You know, you, you think about like the biggest blockbuster movies. Usually it's like their second weekend or third weekend. They still do very strong numbers, you know, compared to their first weekend. We don't see that as much in, in gaming unless it's like fucking Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty. So it, it, I tell you what, man. Next, GamesIndustry.biz relays that Epic Games has shown off the Unreal Engine 5, which is now in early access, giving developers a chance to try it out before it launches in 2022 in full. Tencent Holdings has acquired a 3.8% uh, share of Remedy Entertainment, meaning we no longer want to play Remedy games. Just kidding. The 500,000 shares were sold to Tencent by Ascendo Capital, which still holds 14% of outstanding shares and votes after the transaction, approximately 1.8 million shares. Remedy was informed of the sale after it had taken place, but the control developer stated that it is simply a capital market transaction and is not connected in any commercial way uh, to any activity taking place within the studio. So I do appreciate that they said that. It's almost like they're just addressing all the people who would be concerned about something like Tencent getting involved in this. I know I am. I fucking hate Tencent. I wish they would stay the fuck out of gaming as much as possible, but here we go. Now they're getting their hands in Remedy, and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Windows Central relays that in a PvP-focused live stream, Blizzard Entertainment developer ha- uh, announced that Overwatch 2 PvP will be moving to a 5v5 format that removes one of the tanks from each team's lineup. Uh, I'm just telling you this because a lot of people were talking about this. I don't fucking care, you bunch of nerds. Uh, so whatever, that's one less player on each team. Uh, I guess that's one less little furry character that all these little Overwatch fans will have to dress up as and pretend to be and jerk off to. And then... We've got three three more quick ones right here. Gamesindustry.biz reporting on our, our le- these next two, saying that the Italian government has announced the introduction of a tax credit for video game developers. Companies that are making games will get a 25% tax credit towards their development costs, up to 1 million euro. To be eligible, the company needs to have its headquarters in Europe, sorry, in the Europe in the European economic area and be to be and be subject to taxation in Italy. The tax credit has yet to be approved by the European Union before being fully operational. That's really cool just because there are not a lot of game developers in Italy. It would be really cool if stuff like this leads to seeing more developers pop up in this area just because that is you know, more diversity in the development pool, which we don't see a lot just because so many of the big-name developers are from California or Tokyo and stuff like that. It's just cool to see. New talent come from new places, new ideas, new experiences, new perspectives. Love it. Next, the original founders of Free Radical Design have reformed the cult studio to work on a new Time Splitters game. The new game, the new team is led by Steve Ellis and David Doak, who are both key members of the original company, and the office will be based in Nottingham, UK, or near Nottingham, UK. 
Free Radical Design was formed by a number of employees who worked in the UK studio Rare on GoldenEye and Perfect Dark franchises. It developed three cult favorite shooters called Time Splitters. Following the disappointing reception of the new IP called Haze that was released on PS3, which is weirdly enough a Ubisoft like published PlayStation 3 exclusive. Uh, sorry, they, they developed that, disappointed, bombed, and then the cancellation of a Star Wars project that they were working on uh, forced the studio into bankruptcy in 2008. Despite losing the majority of the staff, the outfit was saved by Crytek and rebranded Crytek UK to work on the game Homefront The Revolution, which also a work from a work for hire project from Coke Media, who also have big hands in the games industry these days. And then lastly... Windows Central reports that Mojang has officially released Minecraft Dungeons Hidden Depths DLC, which has a range of new content for players. It is the fifth premium expansion for the game. It's available now on all platforms where Minecraft Dungeons is available. So that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. Real quick, we have a bunch... I will say, we have new game releases of the week. There are 18, and the podcast is already running long, and this is a segment I've been going back and forth on lately as if, as if I need to about whether or not I need to cut it from the show, but I'll just say some notable ones here. Biomutant, a lot of people are really excited about that game. <clears throat> it is out now. Capcom Arcade Stadium Packs 1, 2, and 3, pretty cool release. Saints Row the Third Remastered, uh, optimized for Series X and S, and smart delivery. Mech Warriors 5 Mercenaries is on Game Pass, May 27th. Warhammer Age of Sigma Stormground, uh, Storm May 27th and a bunch of smaller indie games and things like that. So we won't dwell on that too much this week. We'll get back into that more next week, assuming we have more time and that there are fewer game releases to indulge in. But let's wrap up with our games of gold. It is the final few days of May. So as a reminder, you can download Armello until May 31st. You can download Dungeons 3 until June 15th. Lego Batman, you've already missed it. And Tropico 4 is available until the 31st. So go ahead and download this if you haven't already. And now we have the announcement of the June Games with Gold lineup. So we've got four new titles. Shocker, and none of them are really that interesting because Games with Gold is almost always boring. But we got The King's Bird available June 1st through 30th. Shadows Awakening available June 16th to July 15th. Neo Geo Battle Coliseum, 360 backwards compatible game, available until June 15th. And lastly, from June 16th through the 30th, we've got 360 game Injustice, Gods Among Us, which is obviously the most notable of those four games, but still kind of not that really exciting. But that's going to do it for all of our segments and news and everything this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Xbox On. Sorry if this week was a little uh, less eventful with the news being a little, a little less prevalent. But, you know, we make do with what we got, you know. Take a slower week when you can. You know, we'll come back next week stronger than ever. Retreat. Rest easy. Uh, if you're living here in in, in in a place that celebrates such a day, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Uh, enjoy your hopefully long weekend. I know I'm really looking forward to a four-day weekend myself. But, uh, you know, go go eat a chicken chalupa supreme. Uh, kiss someone to know that you're alive. Uh, breathe fresh air. Uh, drink a non-alcoholic passion fruit beverage, and most importantly, power your dreams. Open your eyes.